We've got to be the dumbest team in America. And history's team, Notre Dame. Here comes the Irish. See that? That's your IQ, buddy. Zero. Let's forget who we're playing this week and just write about how funny I am. <laughs> and then we'll have a good time. And we'll just we'll clown around every day. And I got some magic tricks I'll show you. Welcome back. This is the Clint Klaus Feeling Soxy Show. I hope everybody is had themselves a happy new year. Be the first of uh, one of the last few to wish you guys a happy new year. New new year, new me. 2023, the Jordan year that everybody's already hyping up, or at least the White Sox at least did a uh, picture, did like a Photoshop of some uh, flavorful jerseys that combined the Bulls jerseys of the 90s with, uh, looked like they mixed them with the Southside jerseys. Kind of a cool combination, but that's beside the fact. We had an action-packed football weekend, action-packed football weekend. The Bears still sucked. They got destroyed by the Lions. Uh, Notre Dame, credit to me, I... I'll get out ahead of it. Credit to me. I jinxed South Carolina so that Notre Dame could win the Gator Bowl. Credit to me. I'm going to get myself uh, first one out in front with that one. And we had the greatest college football playoffs that we have ever had this weekend. We'll also recap the Clint's picks. Let us know how we did. Mortal Lock. Um, the original Mortal Lock cashed, but uh, probably should have stuck with it. We'll get into all of that later in the broadcast, we also have a, uh, a time machine. We will go back in time and get an instant reaction from Notre Dame's victory of the Gator Bowl. And we'll kick it to myself two days ago, and we'll get his reaction, instant reaction. This was right after the game of when they beat South Carolina to win the Gator Bowl. So without further ado, before we get to that, I'll recap the Bears game. Uh, Lions 41, Bears 10. I only have a couple of thoughts on this game. Um, the Bears were so horrible on offense that they cost us the over by one point. That was my first thought. The Bears could have at least put together one scoring drive. Could not put together one scoring drive in the second half of the game against probably one of the worst defenses in the NFL. A defense that was 28th against the run. And quite frankly, the offensive line was probably the probably the worst Area of concern. Braxton Jones was getting bull rushed into by James Houston. Aiden Hutchinson was in the backfield within like two seconds after the snap was taking place. I mean, uh, just a putrid, putrid performance by this Bears offense. I mean, and it started all up front. I mean, J Tevin Jenkins gets hurt. He leaves the game. Michael Schofield gets hurt. I mean, Michael Schofield. So now you're down two offensive linemen that are essentially backups, and you already are playing Two backups in Schofield and Riley Reef. This Bears offensive line is absolutely horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And it even showed because every time Justin Fields even dropped back to pass, oh, he's going to have to scramble out of the pocket or he's getting sacked or he's throwing the ball away. He only had seven yards passing at halftime. And I believe he only finished with like 100, not, not even. He didn't finish with... He didn't even finish with 100 yards passing. He had 104 yards rushing on that first drive, and the Bears didn't even cross the 50 until the second half after they already kicked their field goal. They didn't get past the 40 for the rest of this game. It was an absolute 
embarrassment. It is absolutely atrocious. It looks like Bears offenses of old. Now, I'm only saying this because the Bears cost us the over by one point. One stinking point that we needed the over to hit. And we the Bears just, if they would have put together one scoring drive at any point during the game, we would have hit it. I'm more upset about that than I am the fact that they got boat raced 41 to 10. The offensive line looks absolutely putrid and the defense could not stop the run to save its life. Like, like I don't have a whole lot of good to say out of this game for the Chicago bears sake, because they suck. I mean, they're obviously tanking. They're playing for one of those top two picks. I mean, now they're guaranteed a top four pick, which is good for uh, future offseason endeavors. Good for a future draft pick. They have one more game against the Minnesota Vikings. I'll wrap it up with this game because I really don't have a whole lot. Justin Fields just looked looked about as worse as he looked probably this entire season. I mean, he looked a little bit like the Fields last year where Matt Nagy wouldn't necessarily scheme up any offensive plays that fit his skill set. And instead, we're running the – it looked like the Bears offense at the beginning of the season where it was let's run the ball first down, go nowhere, run the ball second down, go nowhere, and then just hope Justin Fields – is able to complete a pass on like third and eight. It was a horrible game plan. The Bears should be absolutely embarrassed by themselves. And the fact that like Justin Fields is out there just getting killed. And the reason after the game that they had him play was to get live experience. Live experience doing what? Getting blown out in a football game? They've been doing that the entire season. The Bears have been losing this entire season. They have not won a game since Monday Night Football. But yet, let's get Justin Fields killed so that he can get the live experience of being a like Lamar Jackson or like Cam Newton. Yeah, let's give him that live experience and put him in harm's way in a meaningless game against the Detroit Lions in a game in which they're getting absolutely demolished in. They're getting demolished in this game. And again, this is where the two things I'm most upset about with the Bears. Their offense absolutely putrid. Could have put together one scoring drive so that we could have at least had the over to make us feel good about watching that fucking horrible performance that they decided to put out there. This was the worst Bears game of the entire season. Worst. Because Justin Fields played. The offensive line played like shit. The receivers played like shit. Like, it really is just more and more obvious just how much farther this Bears team has to go before they can even go into the next direction before we can even talk about the bears being a super bowl contender they have a lot of work to go they have to build up that front seven they have to build up an offensive line they have to get some wide receivers like this isn't something that's going to take overnight like this this might be a two to three year rebuild depending on what ryan poles has in store for us depending on what he does with the draft picks depending on what he does with the salary cap that the bears are supposed to have a plethora of going into next season, but you know, that's all on the table, but I mean, it's more and more obvious that this bears team has a lot ways to go. They have a long ways to go before we can even consider before this podcast can even consider the Chicago bears being a legit super bowl contender. I won't say playoff contender because I think the NFL has kind of muddied down and now it's easier to go from worst to first in the NFL than it is in say baseball. Like in baseball, you're going to be the worst team in baseball for like five years before you could even sniff a playoff series with the NFL. It's not, it's not quite that same. It doesn't work at that same rate. Like in NFL, you can go from the worst team to the best team in your division in a matter of a year. I don't think that that's going to happen with the Chicago bears just because of what, what they need, just their overall needs just outweigh that theory. Like they need offensive linemen. They need wide receivers. They need a whole front seven. They need linebackers. They probably need that a couple cornerbacks like 
Like the Bears have a long way to go. I mean, they have the quarterback, Justin Fields, which is kind of the one thing that you can kind of check off on Ryan Poles' checklist, at least that they have the quarterback of the future. But in terms of everything else around him, they they don't have anything around him. And they the Bears are, are now getting to the point where they're actually putting him in harm's way. And people, now I'm actually going to kind of go back on this a little bit because to the people saying, oh, Justin Fields is in harm's way. What would be the difference if he got hurt in like week four or week five, week six? What's the difference between him getting hurt now and him getting hurt in like the middle of the season? Like what, what is the difference? He's still injured. So you can sit here, whine and cry and say, Oh, why, why isn't he out there? Oh, he got hurt in the middle of the season. I wish he was still playing. And now yeah, bears fans being like, why is he out there? He's being a detriment. Like it's a detriment to even keep him out there. I mean, they're playing football. They understand the risks. Any player can get hurt at any point in time. I don't need to hear that excuse of, oh, we don't need to get Justin Fields hurt. Any football player could get hurt at any point in time. Like I'm recording this on Monday. If the if the Buffalo Bills lose Josh Allen for the entire season, are they going to win the Super Bowl? No, no. Are Bills fans going to say, oh, why are we playing him in a meaningless week 17 game that that matters for playoff seeding against the Cincinnati Bengals? How do you think Bills fans would be feeling? They would be feeling pretty pissed off that they just lost their starting quarterback for the entire season. Not the fact that they're like, oh, we played him in a meaningless game for seeding. No, that's not how this works. Like that's like, it's just ridiculous to even say, oh, we can't play him because he's going to get hurt. No shit, Sherlock. Everybody can get hurt no matter what sport they play in. That's the way sports are. That's just the most idiotic take that I've ever heard of the entire internet. And trust me, the internet and mainly Bears fans on Twitter are fucking stupid. Fucking stupid. Like, I thought White Sox fans were dumb as fuck on Twitter because they basically just whine and mope and cry about anything. Sure, maybe I do that at times, but... Sometimes, it, you know, you just have to let loose because they deserve to be criticized. But, I mean, now it's just getting to the point where, sure, I want Justin Fields to get as much experience, get him as many reps as he can because you never know what's going to happen next year. He can, play, he can get hurt the first game next season. And I guarantee you nobody is going to be saying, oh, why did we play him in that Week 17 game or the last game of last season? Nobody's going to be saying that. Like, just ridiculous. Get those stupid ridiculous takes out of your fucking brains because it's absolutely hurting your mindset of, oh, why, why are we being a detriment to Justin Fields? Oh, you'd rather see Nathan Peterman play these last two games? Fuck that. If I wanted to watch a quarterback throw a bunch of interceptions, four interceptions in a row, I would just go play Madden right now because that's what Nathan Peterman essentially would be giving you. He would be giving you interception after interception. It's, it's pointless. Just play Justin Fields. Who cares if he gets hurt? Who cares if he gets hurt? Because you know why? He could get hurt in the middle of next year, and then next year is just completely down the fucking tubes. I mean, you want to talk about the White Sox. The White Sox have had injuries too. Like, like, what do you want me to do? Like, people, like injuries happen in sports. I mean, people can complain and say these guys are soft, but knowing that you have to play 162 games, no White Sox fan or, quite frankly, any Bears fan out there has the capabilities of playing in any sport, professional, and even in the professional level. I'll take myself included in this. I know I talk a lot of shit about the White Sox, the Bears, Notre Dame, but that's just what I do. You know, this is why I release these feelings as a platform. I mean, this is, this is what I fucking do. I mean, what else am I supposed to do? Be like, oh, it's okay, Bears. It's okay. You got demoralized 41 to 10, but... And Justin Fields played like shit, so we're just going to give you a pass. No, I mean, 
Justin Fields played like shit. This is his worst game of the season. The Bears missed the over by a point. They're fucking pathetic. We also have some, a little bit of Bears news. So it sounds like that they are going to be, or are in the process of talking to Big Ten President uh, Kevin Warner to come in as the Bears' new president of, I wouldn't say he's the football of operations. I think they're just bringing him as the overall team president. My only thoughts on this is that they're basically bringing in Kevin Warren to finish off the Arlington Heights move that could be announced as early as later on this year in 2023. We could definitely be seeing some renditions. We'll be hearing some uh, press conferences. We'll be seeing proposals. But this feels like why they're bringing in Kevin Warren to kind of finish off the new Arlington Heights state stadium so because Kevin Warren was very beneficial to helping the Minnesota Vikings building their new stadium up in Minnesota it's a very nice stadium I've never been there in person but I've seen you know obviously I've seen it on TV it's a pretty nice stadium but for the most part Kevin Warren it might be coming to the Bears we'll have more on that whenever it becomes official all right before we get back into time and give you an instant reaction from Clint Klaus of two days ago when he gave you an instant, well, I gave you myself, gave you an instant reaction to Notre Dame winning the Gator Bowl against South Carolina, 45 to 38. But before we get into all that, I kind of wanted to do a little bit of a touch on of my of Clint's picks. Clint's picks this past week went pretty well for the most part. The Giants cashed, uh, Bears were a were the only underdog that I lost. The other underdogs were the Miami Dolphins. Were the Dolphins, that one cashed. I mean, Teddy, Spready Bridgewater covers the spread again. They covered, lost the game, but covered the spread. Uh, the Carolina Panthers lost outright, so that's that's a tough one. Tampa Bay is going to win the AFC South, so that's uh, one and two right there in terms of losses. My other plays were the 49ers minus nine and a half. Absolutely pathetic that the San Francisco 49ers, and I have a take on this, and I'm going to get out in front of it, I don't think the 49ers are going to the Super Bowl with the way that they got dicked on, gave up over 300 yards to a backup quarterback, making his first career start. You're the best defense in the NFL, and you're going to get burned by a third string quarterback who has never played in the NFL as nine and a half point favorites. The 49ers should be absolutely embarrassed with themselves. Oh, you're the best defense in the NFL, but you're going to give up 34 points to a dead Raiders team that just benched their starting quarterback and was playing somebody for the first time. Jared Stidham, who I didn't even know was still in the league. And now I saw an article this morning that was like, oh, now you can add Jared Stidham to the quarterback carousel. That is fucking stupid. The 49ers should absolutely be ridiculed for even being in this close of a game against a pathetic Raiders team that is essentially done. They're playing a backup quarterback and they allowed 34 points. Absolutely pathetic. It is pathetic what the 49ers did. And quite frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if this 49ers team loses in the first round, first or second round, because they get dicked on by a third string or a backup quarterback. I wouldn't be surprised if Daniel Jones and the San Fr- or the New York Giants show them that they are the superior Giants and just plow them. Fuck the 49ers. They, deserve, they don't deserve to be in the Super Bowl the way that they performed against Jared Stenham, causing us the mortal lock. My other mortal lock was the Green Bay Packers. That one very, very easily. I mean, they just completely demolished the Minnesota Vikings. So in terms of our picks, I would say we had a winning week. We had a winning week. 
at another 500 week, three wins, uh, Packers, Giants, and the Browns, or the Dolphins, sorry, it was the Dolphins, and then the Bears, the 49ers, and I'm forgetting a team, Panthers, it was the Panthers, so we went three and three, uh, we won the Mortal Lock, I got, we'll count the Packers as the Mortal Lock, so two and oh in Mortal Locks, uh, six and six in the Clint's Picks, so we are at 500, another oh, 500 weeks, so I would call this a successful week for myself and the Clint's pick. So another another 500 week, not really quite good, but we'll get over 500 eventually. I mean, week 18's right around the corner. It's definitely going to be it's going to be a little bit tougher, you know, with the week 18. Who's going to be playing? Who's not going to be playing? Who has nothing to play for? Who has something to play for? It's definitely going to be tough because of that situation. You know, like you look at some of these games, you know, like Jaguars, Titans is going to be for the division. Lions-Packers is definitely a big game for playoff seeding and playoff spots. But then then you also have games like the Vikings and the Bears next week, which I might not even talk about that game because, you know, the Vikings are not going to be playing anybody. I mean, they still might be playing for seeding for that number one seed. I know the Eagles are still going to be playing for seeding. I know Monday Night Football tonight is going to be a huge, huge game that will definitely be throwing a wrench into things. I believe if Buffalo wins, they win the number one seed, I want to say, because they have they own the tiebreaker over the Chiefs, and then they would own the tiebreaker over the Bengals. So that would put Buffalo at the number one seed. All right, so before I talk about the college football playoff, the probably the greatest college football playoff games that we have ever seen in a while, and, and it's almost not even close. Like I... Like, I even said that after the TCU-Michigan game. I was like, this is the greatest college football playoff game that the playoff has ever had. So let's get right into it. So we had two great playoff games, and, you know, the podcast was partially right. You know, I had a feeling that TCU was going to make it a close game. had no idea that they were going to win that game outright, and it's absolutely amazing what they were able to do. I mean, Michigan's defense just could not stop a nosebleed. Like TCU could do whatever they wanted on the offensive side of the ball. They were they were giving a big, big chunk plays to wide receivers, particularly Quentin Johnson. Max Duggan had himself probably the game of his entire life. And quite frankly, they shocked the world. Like this was, I mean, with it goes without saying, I mean, they, they were the greatest college football playoff games of all time. It's not even close because for the most part, the playoff games have been mainly blowouts. They've been mainly blowouts where it's been Alabama taking on, you know, whoever, whether it's Cincinnati, Washington, Notre Dame, uh, Michigan State. Alabama would be blowing them out. Cincinnati, they would win by two touchdowns. The game would not even be competitive, and you just knew the results of the game. Or they would play a team like Georgia. Georgia would blow a team out. Clemson would blow a team out. Like, it was basically a recurring theme. And I just had this feeling going into Saturday's games that these were going to be close games. We might actually get some college football playoff games that are actually somewhat competitive. Like, and competitive, I mean, they lived up to the hype and then some. Like, these were the greatest playoff. This was the greatest college football playoff that we, that the, that the playoff has ever had. The committee is definitely throwing cart, is definitely doing cartwheels and, kissing babies because they feel rectified. They're, they're probably going to start being like, hey, maybe we need to go back to the four-team system. I mean, you look at how great these last playoffs are. Hey, maybe we should stick to the four-team playoff. No, 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 no. We're not going to do that. So before I went off on that little bit of a tangent there about uh, playoffs, um, 
let's talk about this game. Uh, Tulane, TCU, TCU, Michigan. I mean, 51-45 and a combined 44 points in the third quarter. Like, it was 21. It was 21-6 to six at halftime. And Michigan and TCU then just went on a scoring barrage. And it combined with 69 points in the second half of TCU, Michigan. An absolutely unbelievable back and forth, back and forth showing. Like, Quentin Johnson finished with six catches for 163 yards. T. Marcato had a long touchdown run. Like, it seemed like when Michigan was getting themselves right back in the game, oh, TCU always had something in response to it. They had they would have a long demarcado run. They had the Quinton Johnston touchdown reception that happened immediately after Michigan got right back in the game. So whenever Michigan scored, like TCU then would be able to score right after that. Like Michigan's defense could not stop TCU no matter what they did. And that's beside the fact that JJ McCarthy also threw two pick sixes, one that to start the scoring off, and I believe he threw one in the third quarter as well. It was not a good game for J.J. McCarthy, not a good game for Michigan, who just, it seemed like that they just kept shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, I don't know, like the first first possession of the game, I don't know what the, I don't know what the hell that they were trying to do. They were trying to run the Philly special, and I'm going to try to get this out there before anybody else does, but the Philly special is dead. The Philly special has become the new Wildcat where now Every, every offensive coordinator in every football program has this play in their playbook. And they said, this is going to be one of our special plays. It's not a special play anymore. It's about as basic as running a halfback dive. Everybody has some variation of the Philly special. It's time to put the Philly special away. I mean, Michigan, I don't know what the hell that they were trying to do. No, fourth and goal. They get up to the three. They don't score. And then they had another possession where they got to the one-yard line after I believe it was Roman Wilson caught the ball. They reversed the touchdown. They saw that his knee was down the one yard line. They reversed the touchdown. Michigan fumbles the very next play. Michigan kept shooting themselves in the foot in this game, but they also had plenty of opportunities. I mean, TCU also had some bounces where, you know, you would have a perfect pass to a wide receiver TCU. It will bounce off his hands and roll into the arms of Michigan for an interception. It was a back and forth game and it was easily. I mean, I thought that this game, TCU Michigan was the best college football playoff game ever. I mean, the the only game that I could even maybe compare this to was Georgia Oklahoma in the 2018 Rose Bowl to go to the playoff. And that was when Georgia had themselves a hell of a comeback. And speaking of Georgia comebacks, Georgia 42, Ohio State 41. The big story in this game and even like the buildup to this game was the line movement. The line movement in this game, it started at seven. And then it dropped from six and a half to six to five and a half to five. I mean, that line movement was definitely something that was scaring me. I did have Georgia. I said that Georgia was going to blow out Ohio State. Uh, Dumb brain by me. I mean, I'm glad that Georgia didn't blow out Ohio State because coming off of that TCU Michigan game and then jumping right into Georgia, Ohio State, it was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I can't, I can't even describe it. It's like jumping into a pool of just really warm water and then when you get out, uh, there's a hot lady giving you a, a fresh beverage. Like that's that's basically what these two playoff games felt like. And and to Ohio State's credit, they absolutely. It looked like at one point that they were going to win this game easily. They were up 41. They were up by as many as 17 at one point. Ohio State was dominating this game. Georgia was playing like absolute garbage. 
Stetson Bennett was showing why a lot of people hated him as a quarterback and why I, I personally think that he stinks and probably won't make it in the NFL. I mean, this is about as peak as Stetson Bennett's about to get in terms of his athletic performance because he's not going to do jack shit in the NFL once he gets there. So he's got to live up these last couple of weeks. And, I mean, what a comeback by Georgia. Being down 41 to, I believe they were down four, they were down 38 to 24 at one point. Georgia hits a field goal. They score 18 points in the fourth quarter, capped off by Stetson Bennett's game-winning touchdown pass with 10 seconds left. And, I mean, this game, and, and even after that touchdown pass that Stetson Bennett threw, like, it, there, there was still time for Ohio State and C.J. Stroud. I'll get to them in a second, but there was still time for Ohio State to go down the field and still win the game. And they had it to within field goal range only to have Ruggs' kick just not even come close. And they end up losing that game to Georgia. I mean, coming off two best two best playoff games of all time, but Ohio State, I want to kind of start, I want to talk about them. I mean, Ohio State absolutely, they damn near shocked the world. You know, a lot of people are saying, you know, Ohio State really has the talent to go toe-to-toe with Georgia. They're one of the three teams in the country with Alabama and Georgia as really the two, really the three programs that have the talent to really go toe-to-toe with these juggernauts. I don't think TCU really has that type of, has those type of athletes, but, you know, then we've been saying that all year about TCU. You know, C.J. Stroud, who's probably going to be the number one overall pick. I mean, that's going to be a huge, huge bonus for the Bears, knowing that there's going to be a team that's going to be trading up. Stroud threw for over 348 yards, had four touchdowns. Marvin Harrison Jr. was playing absolutely out of his mind in the first half, had a hundred and had 106 yards, two touchdowns, and then got and then got murdered in the end zone by Georgia in the second half. It was just, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy game, and. Quite frankly, I mean, the college football playoffs should be elated because these were the greatest playoff games that we have ever even seen. And to have both of these games go down to the wire, high scoring, thank you to both of them because I had the over in both of those playoff games. Felt like the easiest bets of my entire life. But beside the fact, these were the greatest college football playoff games that we've ever seen. And now we are probably going to have a stinker of a national championship game because it's going to be TCU against Georgia. We'll obviously preview that game when we get a lot closer. Uh, Probably later in the week, I'll give a preview of it, or maybe I'll do it on next Monday's show when I recap the Bears' season finale against the Minnesota Vikings. So a lot to get to next week as we'll obviously, I'll be here to break it down, break it all down, break down every difference maker in this game and give you my prediction. So make sure you take that into consideration when you are making your bets before Anytime is to obviously make sure and look at what I'm betting because chances are you probably will win. I mean, if you look at the Clint's picks, they've been 500 the last two weeks. So you have a 50, 50 chance of being right. All right. So now let's kick it back to myself. We're going to go into the time machine and take it back to Clint Klaus two days ago. Now this was instant reaction. I'm kind of going to get out in front of this one. I, I'm going to give myself a ton of credit for jinxing South Carolina. I, had been down on Notre Dame going into this game. I know I was very, very down on them. I said, South Carolina, South Carolina, South Carolina, the scream, South Carolina. But then as the line moved, it made it made me like Notre Dame just that much more. And they were able to pull off that big game. And really, just they overall just dominated the second half of, of that game. I don't think South Carolina had over 
They only had 68 yards in the second half of that game. I mean, Notre Dame's defense completely dominated that game in terms of the ground game. Like they, at one point they could do whatever Notre Dame could do, whatever they wanted against South Carolina on the ground. It just did not matter. And they wore down that South Carolina defense, but, but Hey, what, what am I waiting for? Let's kick it back to myself, Clint Klaus, who gives us his instant reaction from two days ago. So let's get into the time machine and let's go back to Clint Klaus of two days ago. All right, instant reaction. The game just went final. Notre Dame pulled off the winner, 45-38. to 38. I'm going to get out in front of it first. I know many people that listen to the podcast on Friday or, or the previous episode, credit to me, credit to me for pulling out a Notre Dame victory. I reverse psychology them because with the way that my predictions have been going with the podcast this entire season, you know, the White Sox winning 90 six games or so. If you look at my, if my picks, the first, the first week, I thought Notre Dame was going to win 10 games. Well, they got to nine. So, I mean, I was kind of partially right on that one. We were just off by one game, but credit to me for pulling a Notre Dame victory out of really out of nowhere. I mean, I was the, I said, South Carolina was going to win the game. I, and Notre Dame really proved me wrong. I'm going to get out in front of it. Credit to me. My prediction was wrong. I jinxed South Carolina and was the main reason why Notre Dame won. Now, besides that fact, Notre Dame played exceptionally well. I mean, this was probably one of their better offensive performances of this entire season. And Tyler Buckner, I mean, that's that's where I got to start because Tyler Buckner played an exceptional game, easily his best game as a collegiate quarterback. I know I was very skeptical about how he was playing. He hadn't taken a snap since he got injured in the game in September, and he absolutely stole the show. He ended up becoming the Gator Bowl MVP. And I mean, Notre Dame pulled off a fantastic comeback. I mean, what at one point, Notre Dame looked about as dead as debtor gets. It looked like that it was going to be very simply just another Notre Dame bowl game defeat where they just get completely demoralized in that. But credit to them. They did not fight. They fought back and really made it a game. And, and also one more thing on Buckner, despite throwing two pick sixes in this game, including one in the first half. And then he had a second one that inevitably went a hundred yards when Notre Dame was looking to go up by four, looking to go up by two scores. And then that really made it a, a tie game. At one point, things got a little bit prickly, but credit to Notre Dame. I'm going to give them where credit is due after that first quarter. I mean, it, you couldn't have talked about a, a more debtor team that looked like that they were going to get ready to get blown out. It seemed like everything was going South Carolina's way. They had, you know, South Carolina goes down the field and scores on the first possession. Notre Dame goes three and out. Notre Dame's offense really struggled for the first couple possessions. But then once the run game really kind of started to go, that was really when the offense started to take over. I wondered how they were going to perform without uh, Michael Mayer there, who is their best receiving threat. I mean, Obviously, it looked like Tyler Buckner played exceptionally well, except for obviously the two pick sixes obviously hurt. One of them was in the first half. And obviously, as I mentioned, the other one was late in the game. But I mean, he played exceptionally well. I mean, he definitely played his balls off in this bowl game and really Notre Dame as a whole played their balls off coming back from at one point. I think they were down 24 to seven. They they clawed their way back. Their defense made the adjustments in the second half, really kind of making Spencer Rattler look like the first half of the season, Spencer Rattler, and not the one 
that we had seen down that we have seen down the stretch in the last previous two games of the Gamecock season. So, I mean, Notre Dame's defense, I got to give them a ton of credit. They could have easily folded up in this game and just taken it, taken home, been like, all right, we got our free trip to a Gator Bowl. I mean, this sucks, but, you know, credit to them. I mean, they definitely fought back. There were definitely several moments where it looked like South Carolina was going to take over the game, but Notre Dame didn't stop. They didn't stop fighting, the fighting Irish, definitely. And that's credit to Mark and credit to Marcus Freeman for really keeping the boys really, really focusing in the game because at one point, you know, as I mentioned, it, things got a little bit prickly. The running game for Notre Dame was just absolutely one of the big reasons why. I mean, Tyler Buckner also had two more rushing touchdowns on the ground. Logan Diggs had a 39-yard touchdown run right after Notre Dame's special teams coordinator, Ben Mason, threw up a little uh, switcheroo play. I mean, in the final bowl game, obviously the famous quote from the water boy is, you know, last game of the season, you know, don't hold nothing back. Well, this was definitely a game where South Carolina really opened up the playbook in the first half. And then they basically ran out of plays and Notre Dame's defense was just all over them. Only 14 points in the second half. And one of those was that pick six that Buckner threw. Notre Dame played as well as you could have asked them to play in a bowl game that I thought that they were going to lose. And admittedly so. I mean, this is just based on past Notre Dame bowl games that I've seen them perform in that, you know, sometimes they come out a little bit flat in some of these situations. But Tyler Buckner, I mean, he definitely he definitely made a case for himself to be the starting quarterback next year if Sam Hartman, if the Sam Hartman rumors end up not being true and he ends up going somewhere else. But, you know, it sounds like that Hartman is coming along to Notre Dame. I don't really have any sources on that. I'm just kind of assuming at this point he, he is the, as they were the strong favorites to get him. But, but if he's not there, I mean, they definitely have another reliable option in Buckner. I mean, Buckner played exceptionally well and really for a moment, I mean, for his first game of not playing since September and really carrying this offense to what, what I thought this Notre Dame offense is going to look like with him as the starting quarterback. Well, this is what they looked like during that bowl game. I also wondered if South Carolina didn't really have South Carolina was also missing four defensive starters. They were also out their top wide receiver and their running back was also out. I'm I'm also pointing out facts, but Notre Dame also didn't have their best pass rusher and their best receiving threat in Michael Mayer. And they put up 45 points on the South Carolina defense. I mean, they really fought hard in this game. You can't really ask for a better performance out of them. And again, I'm going to get out in front of it. Credit to me for completely jinxing South Carolina, putting the hex on them that they were going to win the game and then just reverse psychology the entire thing and bringing the victory from for the Notre Dame fighting Irish 45 to 38 the final game of the season. Notre Dame finishes nine and four. Again, credit to me for reverse psychology and jinxing South Carolina into losing this game. I think everybody and the nation was picking South Carolina. And really, there was kind of a little bit of some uh, really iffy stuff going on. I mean, when you saw the line movement kind of go up from two and a half to three to three and a half to four, it really kind of smelled like at that point that, hey, maybe maybe you should take Notre Dame here. And I mean, credits, Notre Dame was down 24 to seven. They could have easily folded in this game. I've said this numerous times, numerous times, but, you know, Tyler Buckner definitely played the game of his life. He had over 300 total yards. He had five touchdowns, obviously the Gator Bowl MVP. 
But how about that Notre Dame ground game in the second half of that game? They were really starting to wear down that South Carolina defense to the point where South Carolina at, at towards the second that the later part of the second half, Notre Dame could literally do whatever they wanted to do at any point in time. I mean, they could have ran the ball with Audric Estime. South Carolina had a very hard time bringing him down. Logan Diggs was having very explosive plays. I, he also had the 75-yard receiving touchdown on a screen pass that really kind of brought Notre Dame right back into the game when they were down 14 to nothing at one point. And also, I want to say this first. That that the South Carolina touchdown in the second half, that was not a touchdown. And if you watch the replays of that, you can see his foot touching the chalk. You could see the white spewing out. You could see it. You could see it when his cleat hits the off, the off down marker. That ball should have been out of bounds. That touchdown should not have even counted. That was a complete fluke touchdown by South Carolina. So and outside of that and the pick six they had Notre Dame just completely dominated South Carolina in the second half of this game and really made Spencer Rattler look like the the Spencer Rattler that we thought he was and not the one that was playing exceptionally well in the final two games of the season. I mean, he was playing out of his mind coming into this game. I mean, when you look at what he did against Tennessee, you look at what he did against Clemson. I mean, both of those teams are playing in the Orange Bowl right now and you know, and Spencer Rattler made made them look like they were just like FCS teams, FCS opponents. That's what Spencer Rattler was doing in the final two games of the season for the South Carolina Gamecocks. But Notre Dame's defense completely shut them down, especially after that rough start where it looked like that Notre Dame was going to be on their way to getting blown out. But they fought their way back into this game. Credit to Tommy Reese and the play calling. I mean, the play, especially in the second half of the game when they just could do nothing. South Carolina could do nothing to stop Notre Dame's running game. And that's credit to Tommy Reese and the play calling. I know Tommy Reese has had some, has had some games where his play calling hasn't necessarily been the best, but you also have to understand the circumstances of Drew Pine was the starting quarterback, and you can't really run the same offense with Drew Pine that you would with Tyler Buckner. Tyler Buckner has more, has more mobility with his legs. I mean, he's more of a dual-threat quarterback, whereas Drew Pine is more of a pocket passer. So that was really one key factor. I mean, Buckner... I can't sing his praises enough. I mean, he looked like the quarterback that we thought he was going to be when he was recruited out of high school, and he definitely showed. He has some momentum going for him to be the starting quarterback next year if Sam Hartman isn't here. And, you know, credit to Notre Dame. Their ground game, 264 yards on the ground. And, you know, one more thing. I think I, I might have mentioned this too was how about – uh, Brian Mason and the special teams coordinator for Notre Dame really busting out and calling a fake punt play on fourth and four that set up the go-ahead touchdown for Notre Dame in the fourth quarter of that game because South Carolina, because then right after that, you bring out a tired South Carolina defense back on the field, and then boom, you get a long touchdown run from Logan Diggs. I mean, Logan Diggs had one of his best games as a Notre Dame player, and just by looking at how I thought Notre Dame was going to be able to uh, have have their offense function. And for them to score 45 points without Michael Mayer, that's a ton of credit to Tommy Reese. That's a ton of credit to Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame and their preparation coming into this game of being able to really kind of not give up and really just keep those plays going and being able to really shut down a hot South Carolina offense that was coming into that game with a ton of momentum and really holding them to seven points in the second half that's a ton of credit to Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman and the coaching staff 
who really seem like that they have this program going in the right direction. It seems like that it's going in the right direction. You know, it Marcus Freeman to his credit after, and this is kind of the, the end of the season review for Notre Dame as they finished nine and four in the first year in the Marcus Freeman era. Obviously things were very, very prickly at the very start of it. Obviously the Owen two start was very tough to overcome because especially after that Marshall loss, because that Marshall loss, it really seemed like that Notre, the Notre Dame faithful was getting ready to send Marcus Freeman into the Bay, but credit to him. I mean, he rode the ship and it was really the start was the California game in which the game that they almost lost on a last second hail Mary by Jack Plummer, who is now going to be heading to Louisville, but Notre Dame, I mean, to their credit, they finished out the season after that 0 two start with a nine and two record and, Obviously, one of those losses was to a horrific Stanford team and against Caleb Williams, who had his Heisman moment, who had the game that basically won him the Heisman trophy. I mean, you can't really say a whole lot of bad things in Marcus Freeman's first year as Notre Dame head coach. Obviously, on the recruiting market, I know he's lost a couple of recruits. They're still bringing in a top 10 recruiting talent, but it doesn't you can have as many top 10 recruiting talents as you want, but. All that matters is if you cannot be able to develop that talent on the football field, which is something that Brian Kelly was really good at doing in the 10, 12 years that he was at Notre Dame was he had a very good ability of developing talent. And as long as they can, as Notre Dame can be able to continue to develop that recruiting talent and really kind of keep some of the uh, coaching staff intact, which I mean, Notre Dame has a good, a good group of coaches because I mean, the preparation for this game against South Carolina especially in the second half with the way they were making the second half adjustments was just absolutely phenomenal. I think it was probably their best coaching job of the entire season so far. And I know I'm singing the praises of Marcus Freeman, something I haven't really done a whole lot this year, but I mean, for one moment, it seemed like that the season was, especially for Notre Dame season, it was particularly the sky was falling sort of moment. And just to be able to right the ship and put it into a nine and four season and finish off with a nice bowl game of really shutting down a hot South Carolina team that was coming into this game with a ton of momentum coming its way from. But but this uh, Notre Dame looks like that they're heading in the right direction. Now, obviously, we'll see how everything looks in year two. And obviously, next year includes a trip to Clemson. So that's going to be definitely a tough matchup. But. Obviously, this entire season for Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman's first year, I would give him about a B because it's at one point it was uh, it almost seemed like that the ship was going to completely sink and he was able to really kind of save the ship and really kind of rectify a Notre Dame season in which they had some very nice wins against some very beatable opponents. I mean, they just completely demolished Clemson. When Clemson came into town in South Bend in November, they had the momentum. Anytime that Notre Dame needed to get up for a big game or when they were an underdog, they came out and won the game outright except for the USC game. So, I mean, you can't really take a whole lot of disappointment by Marcus Freeman's first year. I think he's taken the program in the right direction and really kind of keeping it in that direction that Brian Kelly had it had it where this team was was consistently contending for the college football playoff. I definitely think there's still going to be a college football playoff contender, and it's only going to get it that much easier for them when the playoff expands to 12 teams in a couple of years. I mean, I, I absolutely can't wait for that. I mean, the 12-team playoff is probably going to be the best thing that's ever happened to college football and the FBS. I mean, but 
We'll get into that at a later point in time, but uh season wrap up for Notre Dame and a recap of the Gator bowl victory, 45 to 38 Notre Dame proving, proving everybody wrong. Credit to me for jinxing South Carolina. So player of the game was Tyler Buckner, but I will also be taking some game of the year or game player of the game representation for jinxing South Carolina 20, less than 24 hours before the game was set to kick off. So that was the recap of Notre Dame's Gator bowl victory and Marcus Freeman's final season with or first season with the Notre Dame fighting Irish, a nine and four season. And really it seems like that it's going in the right direction. All right. Thank you. Thank you. That was, that was Clint Klaus from back, back over there. And with that, we are going to wrap up this edition of the feeling Soxy Clint Klaus show. I hope everybody has a happy new year. I hope everybody has some nice new year's resolutions, hopefully. And soon enough, uh, we'll be getting into some white Sox predictions. Definitely starting to feel a little bit better about them. You know, season's over. We'll leave 2022 and 2022. We're now on to the 2023 Chicago white Sox season and I'm going to do it, guys. Uh, it's going to happen. I think they can win the Central again. I'm doing it. I, I think I, I think they can win the Central again. My number, my first prediction of 2023, White Sox will win the AL Central. So take that with what you want. Already take it to your sports books. Always gamble responsibly. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this edition of the Feeling Soxy Clint Klaus Show. Thank you guys for listening, and I hope you guys have a happy new year.